Originally a cheap, plentiful, and man-made substitute for ivory, celluloid, one of the earliest of plastics, made its way into the manufacture of novelties. But it had one serious defect. It could burn. Welcome to the Kill It With Fire podcast, where each episode, a group of creative practitioners and academics from different disciplines takes a look at cult, neglected or overlooked motion pictures in the last few decades of celluloid, when movies were films. Some dates excite you. Hi. Some dates thrill you, but a date with Samantha will kill you. From Wes Craven, director of Nightmare on Elm Street, comes Deadly Friend. Rated R. Now playing. There's no one alive who will play with the girl next door. That's the tagline on the American one-sheet poster for the film we're discussing today, which is Wes Craven's 1986 picture, Deadly Friend. Um, The UK quad post had a slightly more evocative uh, tagline on it, which I think I'd like to, to quote also. Imagine you lost the one you love. Imagine you could bring them back. Imagine then a deadly friend, which is a strange... <laughs> So, yeah. like one sequitur's there, but uh, <laughs> I think it's quite. Sorry, three, three, three statements. That's definitely yeah. three statements. I'm exactly. not sure they uh they go together, but exactly, it's definitely yeah. uh it's definitely a sounds like a, one of the new. It sounds like when you watch a film on Netflix these days, and uh, whoever writes their uh you know descriptions of the films is just on one. I think I don't know what they're yeah. doing. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, but, I think, yeah. I, I think if that was handed in as a uh, an example of logic by a student, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> but it works on the poster. Do it um, again. Yeah. <laughs> Please try harder. Um, <laughs> so, uh, round of introduction. Sad, fa- sad face. <laughs> yes, yeah. That, that's <laughs> you, that's it. Uh, so, a, a round of introductions. It's, well, it's you and me, Aidy. So, it, think, well, it is, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's more of a line of introduction, isn't it? You can't have a circle if there's only two, pe- two people. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Uh, well, I'm Adrian Mills. Um, I teach games at the University Centre Grimsby, and I watch these films because Paul makes me watch them. Um, and <laughs> and although I have seen this before, I did remember. But yeah, so that's that's who I am, and I and I like to talk about these films. So yeah, that's who I am. Fantastic. I'm Paul Lewis, and I've got a poorly ankle after falling over last week, and I, I like films. <laughs> what, what, any of the brother in Rocky? Paulie ankle. <laughs> well, yeah, I think he is, yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of Paulies, have, have you seen? I mean, I, we do we do generally have a, a moment where we sort of talk about uh, new uh, upcoming um, uh, any any film film related activities that we have had in the past week. We might as well do that now. Uh, but I watched the trailer for the Sopranos film yesterday. Um, I can't even oh. remember what it's called. And uh, yeah, that did make an impression, a, a grand oh. impression on me, I should say. Now, did you watch the? Uh, I've not seen it, so I've never. To be fair, I've never watched. It. I have never watched The Sopranos. I've tried, I've tried several times to get into it, but it's just never. I know people, you know, it's well loaded and everything, but it's just never clicked with me. I don't know. Yeah. Something, I don't know. Maybe it's just. A, maybe just a bit too late now, to really, to really get it. I mean, the opening scene. The opening scene has them. Uh, I seem to remember that in the opening episode, they're like uh, robbing a load of DVD players, and it's like, oh, these are ace, and it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm like, oh, this this seems quaint. <laughs> <laughs> it does indeed, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just weird. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ad, have you had any interesting filming? I know we've been both been very busy, but uh, uh, well, I I re- we've got an obviously what I watched what we've got what I've recommended coming up 
So um, it's been a while, but I watched I watched From Beyond again. Yes, yep. I, um, you know it's funny. I, I watched that taking a break from marking, and it'd be round about the Whitson holiday. <laughs> I'd, I'd drag the projector out and I watched that because that's that's actually that, that would be in the top if I had a top ten. <laughs> it'd be in there, would it? Yeah, I really like From Beyond. I think. Well, that's... I think we'll, we'll we'll save we'll save the discussion obviously for the episode, but uh, yeah. So I, I I watched that and I it's been quite a while. I mean, I don't think I'd seen it since. Um, for a good twenty odd years, but um, I've recently well, we'll talk about all this, but I've, I've recently got into rereading a lot of um, uh, Lovecraft stuff. Yeah, that, yeah. That led me down from yeah. beyond, and I thought, you know, I'm going to watch that. And um, so that I've watched that. Well, I don't think I'm not sure if I've watched much else. Um, I'm thoroughly. I'm just rewatching all of the Expanse. Um, yeah. On Prime, um, because that's amazing. If anyone hasn't watched the Expanse, you should do. Um, yeah. It's probably single best sci-fi tv show <coughs> i've seen i don't know it's incredible yeah um, yeah uh, so no no that's it myself yeah. just busy with me you know, boards and marking yeah I, I mean my other uh aside from marking and boards um is i i, I was tasked with writing five essays chapters for a, a project about Hammer's horror films that had five chapters on five of the Frankenstein films, which kind of dovetails quite nicely with Deadly Friend, I think, yeah. you know, the Frankenstein theme. So it's nice that we um, uh, sort of covered this, I think, because, you know, some of those ideas are, are quite fresh in, in my mind, I think. Um, this was my pick <laughs> for my sins. It um, was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, so, claim, I'm not claiming any ownership of this one. None. No. So I, I think I think it's fair that I should do the synopsis. Um, so Paul Conway, played by Matthew Labateau, as a prodigious young scientist. I'm not quite sure how old he's supposed to be in the novel that this is based on. The character's 13, but he's a lot older than 13, I think, in this. But certainly uh, he moves he moves town to Welling and he makes friends with Tom. And Tom's a paperboy at school, isn't he? And I, I think Matthew Labateau's supposed to be the same age or a similar age, isn't he? 16, 17, 18, but is 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 yeah. a scholarship to study the human brain under under the expert Dr. Johansson, um, who's not given a great deal to do, but nevertheless. Um and, and he moves he moves to Welling, Paul moves to Welling with, with his, his single mother, Anne Schwomey. Um and, and there in Welling he, he quickly makes friends with Tom, as I say, played by Michael Sharrett, who's a local, you know, schoolboy, and uh, his pretty neighbour, Sam Christie Swanson. Uh, Sam comes from a, a, a different single-parent family living with her abusive father, Harry, Richard Marcus. He's good in this, I think, Richard Marcus. He's very sinister. Um, but along the way, Paul's he's created this cutesy, sentient robot, BB. Yeah, he has, yes. <laughs> nevertheless, is adept at throttling would-be car thieves and has a fiery temper, which is evidenced in how swiftly he dispatches a group of bullies who threaten Paul and Tom at one point. Uh, BB is destroyed in a Halloween prank when the three young friends decide to ring the doorbell of cranky, shotgun-wielding local psychopath Elvira Parker, played by Anne Ramsey. Um, and when Sam's father kills his daughter in a drunken race, this is, you know, this is a, originally the, the idea for this was was kind of a family friendly film. I think <laughs> reading through this quick synopsis, you think that's not family friendly. Um, but when when Sam's father kills his daughter in a drunken rage, Paul enlists Tom's help in stealing the body and inserts into Sam's brain BB's microchip, bringing his girlfriend back from the dead. She's reborn and behaves like BB. She's got these claw-like, can't do it appendages. Um, <laughs> Uh, an inability to talk properly, we should say. Um, lobster-like. 
yeah, says, yeah. says lobster like. Well, I'll come on to because I want to talk about Christy Swanson's performance because I think it's quite a good performance. Actually. You know, when she comes back as. But anyway, I'll, we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have these point of view shots as well in, in the same sort. The, the way that I'm going to describe it is pixel vision. If you remember Fisher Price pixel vision, which I think was um, um, mm-hmm. Michael Almereda, the uh, indie filmmaker, used for some of these shots in uh, Naja, the black and white vampire film. That's a good film. That's 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 drifted off people's radar. Um, but that sort of pixel vision type filter uh, as, as BB's point of view and, and the resurrected Sam, obviously her point of view shots has have that, which suggests she's, she's kind of, her body's ha- inhabited by BB, I think more than uh, Sam coming back from the dead. And with a ferocious need for revenge against Harry and Elvira Parker and, and pretty much everybody else really, to be honest. Um, so uh, I think that that's, is there anything that you think I missed AD in that synopsis? No, no I think, I think that's, um, I think that's pretty, pretty, uh, yeah, pretty on the money. I mean, I'd just say this film is just is one part Frankenstein, one part short circuit, one part mannequin. Yeah, yeah. Man- oh, mannequin, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the, it's just it's just someone's. I don't know if mannequin was out by this point. I think it was. Um, I think it's what's that? 84, 85 mannequin. Um, which is, and a pretty, I'm pretty sure short circuit must have been out. It, short circuit was at eighty five, I think. Wasn't yeah. It? So, so, th- so you, you mash those three things together, and you get you get deadly friend. Um, man- man- also, man- as well, it's, it's one part Kurt Russell Disney movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a, de- a deadly cocktail. This um, was mannequin. Was uh, Kim Cattrall, wasn't it? Was that Kim Cattrall? Yeah, and Andrew and- uh, Andrew McCarthy. The Jefferson Starship song. Well, it was just Starship by that point. Nothing's going to stop us. Nothing's going to stop us now. I remember, I remember that vividly. I remember because the music video was on Top of the Pops a lot, wasn't it? I think it was. It's, it's on my uh, YouTube rotation play. So uh... <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, should we talk about first encounters with Deadly Friend? Uh, yeah. Do you want me to go first? You go first, Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I. When you recommended watching this, uh, I saw it was a Wes Craven film. And I was like, have I seen this? Have I? And and I, th- I was watching it, and it, it seemed familiar, um, but it, it nothing. I was like, I'm sure I've watched this. I'm sure I have. And then it was the basketball to the head bit that oh, I went, I have how, seen this. I have seen this. <laughs> I was, I've seen this. And and the, and when I think when she came back, and it was and then it it. And so my first experience of this must have been uh, probably a uh, video release back in the 80s. I probably watched it then. Um, but I think it was that that basketball head was cut, wasn't it? It was um, trimmed. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, the MPAA and yeah. then I think the BBFC um, trimmed it as well, I think. Yeah, so it wasn't quite as graphic as it is, as, as the version I watch now. Um, but I certainly remembered that bit and I was like, ah, yes, I have seen this. It was a, one of those moments because that moment comes up. We'll talk about that moment, I think. Um, but yeah, so it, then it, my, my brain twigged. Yes, you have seen this. You've just forgotten all about it, and with good cause, really. But you know, uh, <laughs> it's not a film that you know I needed to remember. But I was like, yes, I have. So I'm gonna guess that I hadn't watched. I know I haven't watched it in those intervening thirty years, but I, I definitely, definitely was uh, had viewed this in the in those late eighties, you know, video times when you just wanted to rent something from your local Tates or yeah. Flick, Flicks or whatever, whatever your uh, you know. fifty rental. Yeah, absolutely. One, as it says on your shoulder, yeah. Um, you know, not talking about you, obviously, but <laughs> although I have read that about you somewhere. <laughs> oh, dear me. 
Oh, uh, this is a one fifty rental. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 how much you get paid by the hour. If you pay him two pound, he makes the BB noises. That song at the end. Oh my god. Oh my word. He shouldn't. He should listen to that entire song as part of the punishment for making me watch this. Watch the credits. I just put it on mute. Oh, um, you can't do that. Um, so yeah, so that that was my first um, first. So yes, I know what I had seen this. It all came back with that sequence, and yeah. so yeah. But uh, in the intervening time, this was a film that had completely drifted out of my, uh, you know, out of my transom. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, it hasn't had a UK DVD release. Um, uh, um, it's been released on DVD in America, and in um, bare bones. And in some European countries, France, Germany, Spain, maybe, I don't know. Um, but uh, it's not a UK deal. And I don't think it's had any UK VHS release. It had two um, VHS releases over here. Of course, there was the, the original VHS release, which I'm guessing was 87 or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And there was a slightly later one in a, uh, with a slightly different cover um, in, in a, a a line of horror films that, that Warner's released. It wasn't Terrorvision, but it was a, a another line that Warner had of, of sort of horror films in their catalogue. So I think it's had the two UK VHS releases. I mean, I remember this from, I, I had the UK VHS. Um, it might have been an ex-rental tape, actually, that uh, that I, I bought in a, a second-hand shop. No one used to sort of go and peruse. And, oh, well, Wes Craven. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, buy it for probably the same price as you'd rent it for. Um, and that would be sort of late 80s, maybe possibly sort of 1990 thereabouts. Um, but um, I haven't seen it for... I, don't, I watched it quite... Uh, not quite a lot, I shouldn't say that, but I watched it a few times on, on VHS. I can't have seen it since about 95, I don't think, uh, because it hasn't had a UK DVD release until I managed to get hold of um, the um, Spanish Blu-ray, which I think is a bootleg. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure, but it's the only high-def uh, uh, release of the film. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that, that contains the unrated cut as well, which is something that I'd wanted to watch for... Uh, quite a long while, which is the obviously the one that you watched, Eddie, with a slightly more. Well, we'll talk about some of the the, the, the extra violence and the unrated cut. So, um, I mean, there has been. <clears throat> so I saw, I saw this on VHS. Um, I think it got a UK cinema release because there's a quad poster for it, but uh, I, I don't know anybody that saw it in the cinema. Um, uh, so it's been out of circulation for quite a long time over here, at least, um, and it doesn't really get shown on television either. I don't think. Um, you know, I don't think it's available on any streaming service, and, and uh, um, you know, I, 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 I can't ever remember appearing on TV. Um, there has well, been a. F- I think it, I, I was going to say I think the pro- the problem is I, I, I don't know where you'd market it. I don't know where well, you place this, it. Exactly. This is this is a difficulty with it, isn't it? I mean, you, you put it in the afternoon slot and cut all the gore out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put it late at night and people expecting the horror film say, what on earth is this? What on it's earth about is this? Robot. Yeah, where's Kate Russell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be hard to place in the schedule. Um, but there has been a, <clears throat> excuse me, a fan petition to release Craven's original cut. Um, you know, I think, I think that started either just before 
Craven's death or after it. Um, in other words, the, the original cut is the one screened in early preview preview. I put my teeth back in previews of the film before more gore was added. Some of the exposition was cut, and that was started a number of years ago. Whether you know, eventually we'll see some high def, you know, Blu-ray release from. Well, I, I think that um, it, it just changes <coughs> red these days, isn't it? There's somewhere on the internet. There's a fan petition to get the original director's cut for every single film ever released. Oh yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I think... Somewhere, somewhere. I mean, I, I just saw yesterday that oh, I saw a headline that there's a director's cut of Rocky Four coming in November. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Because um, Stallone like, was working on that during the lockdown, wasn't he? Um, <laughs> what, yeah. What, what, what are you going to? How many more montages can you add? Exactly. I, I do think with Deadly Friend, I think it would be interesting to see Craven's original cut, though, because I think there was there was so much changed in the final edit of the picture. Oh, which, was um, okay. Um, which we'll come on to when we talk about the production, I think. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about the uh, the editing and uh, Warner Brothers sort of because they didn't know what to do with it really, and, and, and they wanted to sort of mark it as a horror film on the back of Craven's reputation, because this was the film that he made after Nightmare on Elm Street, of course. Um, and I do think uh, while he, while he was working on post production for this, as I recall, he was writing the script for Nightmare on Elm Street three um, uh, as well, which is. But anyway, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, in terms of contemporary reviews, did you find anything, Adi? Um, what did I find? There's one from the. So are we talking what reviews from then, or I can have a, you want reviews from then or reviews from now? Uh, now, if the salient, but uh, um, there was, uh, there was there was <coughs> one I didn't really find much because I just think there's um there's not a lot written about. It. I I couldn't find a lot. I found one here on uh, that was a bit mental. <laughs> 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 Which is a uh, kind of interesting. I don't know what they said about Good it. Uh, yeah, there's one. There's, I mean, there's one from the, the New York Times at the at the at the time itself. Yeah, um, that's the only one that I could really dig up. That's... Yeah, you know, and it seems it seems um, quite complimentary about it. Um, that's Karen James. I'll just, I'll just quote from that. I mean, I've got some uh, passage on the notes. Deadly Friend is a witty ghoul story, a grandson of Frankenstein that play, plays plays off the conventions of recent teenage horror movies while paying homage to the classic starring Boris Karloff. In previous films, the director Wes Craven has played it straight, creating a bloody cult movie in a nightmare on Elm Street. And he has played horror for laughs in a lesser-known send-up, Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing, there's a film. Here, he creates a film that deliberately teeters on the edge of spoof, slowly moving towards such unpredictable goofiness that a basketball becomes a gory murder weapon. There's your basketball. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's your basketball. It's the scene. It's, you know, you, you, you feel if you watch this, it's the one scene that's going to stick in your head, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so uh, well that and the the, the the nightmare sequence in which Sam stabs her father with her eyes. Oh, that. Oh, we'll we, talk about. We'll talk about the symbolism talk, there. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was the only sort of contemporary review that that really sort of stuck with me. I, I found a few others, but they were very sort of pushed off <laughs> but yeah. that, was, that was fairly i won't say it was, it was sort of glowing with praise but uh you know fairly complimentary i think that that review um uh um in terms of production i mean do you know anything about the production of this ad uh, um I, like i said no not really i'm just sort of having a look through but um if you want to go on that then yeah i mean i've, I've got loads of notes on this to be honest with you uh, director there's a really good I will I will sort of point out um I shared it with you, Adi, but uh, 
there was a really good article about the um, post-production of this, um, uh, which I, I think I've got the, I think I've got it in my notes later. So I'll, I'll share that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go through it in a linear way uh, rather than sort of jumping up and about. Um, so this was this was directed by Craven after A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, that, that was his previous film as director. And he wrote it with Bruce Joel Rubin. And Rubin's career is quite interesting because Rubin wrote Brainstorm, Douglas Trumbull. Do you remember that? Oh, I do remember that, yeah. I think we've mentioned that. Yeah, I've mentioned it before um, with, with the um, re, um, recording, which was the, the idea for that was sort of, I won't say pilfered, but but, but uh, uh, adapted into Strange Days, wasn't it? Catherine Bigelow, that Catherine Bigelow mm. film. Um, yeah, definitely, yeah. Rubin also wrote Ghost, uh, the Swayze. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob's Ladder. Uh, okay, interesting. Sleeping with the Enemy, which is our, my life, and then Stuart Little too. <laughs> so, well, there if, you go. <laughs> if if you say that, then defense quite tonally odd. <laughs> you know, you look at Rubin going from uh, Jacob's Ladder to Stuart Little too. It's sort of similar, mm. a similar, uh, 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 um, uh, similar spectrum to to the narrative of uh, Deadly Friend, I think. Yeah. But it's You're based. Right. Wrote Deep Impact as well, didn't he? Somewhere. He did indeed. Yeah, they weren't the only things he's written, um, but uh, but, but quite right. an interesting one of films. I mean, I think Brainstorm conceptually is quite an interesting film. Ghost, I mean, it's a good, it's a good, very good film. Jacob's Ladder is interesting. I think it's a bit compromised. I don't think it's quite as good as you know people said, but but I think it's it's, it's got some really interesting ideas in it. So quite quite a conceptual writer, I think. Moving, um, mm. it was based on the novel uh, Friend. By Diana Henstall, and um, I mean originally uh, Rubin's original draft of the script, I think, was called Friend. That'd be an even harder sell, wouldn't it? I think. Um, <laughs> but but the the film's plot kind of follows the outline. Of, I've not read the novel. I have to admit, it's long out of print, as I understand. Um, I didn't read it back in the day. So, but reading uh, 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 about the novel, the film's plot seems to follow, um, you know, the, 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 the narrative trajectory of the novel quite closely. Paul, with his divorced parents, Sam killed by her abusive father. Paul resurrects her by placing a microchip in her brain and Sam seeks revenge. I don't think BB was quite fleshed out as well in, in the novel. Um, I don't know if BB, the, the, the robot, was even in the novel, uh, whether just Paul comes up with this idea of putting the microchip in Sam's brain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, the characters are quite a bit younger. Uh, Paul, I think, is thirteen in the novel, and Sam's eleven, I think, which is, but you know, a bit weird. But anyway, um, but um, in terms of the BB the robot, the actual uh, uh, prop, uh, you know, you've got this quite friendly, friendly-looking yellow uh, robot on wheels, uh, very, uh, very similar to uh, Johnny Five. Um, uh, comparable to Johnny Five, I think. Uh-huh. $20,000 to build, built by a company called Robotics 21, and, and that robot could live £7,500 uh, £7, in weight. Um, and it was voiced by, by Charles Fleischer, who played the Doctor in the Nightmare on Elm Street. So nice throwaway bit of uh, uh, trivia. Um, this was also Swanson's first starring role. She'd previously appeared in small roles in, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Pretty in Pink. Um, later, of course, she would play Buffy the Vampire Slayer in The Chase, which we were talking... She would appear in The Chase with Charlie Sheen, which we were talking about just prior to recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Swanson, as the resurrected Sam, was taught to move by a mime artist, Richmond Shepherd. And, and that that struck me because I'm, 
I quite like the way that Swanson acts as the resurrected Sam with a microchip, you know, and she's got these, she contorts her fingers, doesn't she, to the like pincers, and she, she has this unblinking stare and uses her head a lot. It reminded me a lot mm. when I was revisiting it of um, Peter Weller's performance as uh, Robocop. Yeah, I can see so, that. So, so when I read that she had been taught to move by a mime artist, you know, um, uh, uh, in preparation for this role, um, again, it, it reminded me of Weller because, of course, Weller um, struggled with the Robocop suit that, that had been built. And um, he went to a mime artist to teach him how to sort of, you know, those kind of to turn your head before your body as you go through a door and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, th- I think it's quite quite an eerie performance um, as well, and, and enhanced by the deathly pallor of the makeup. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the, the dark shadows around the eyes and the sort of the, the pasty face, which I think works quite well. Um, Craven also consulted a neurosurgeon to ensure William. Faith, I think is how you pronounce it, to ensure authenticity in the film's discussion of the brain and, and, and the sequence in which the chip is implanted. I don't think it's very scientifically accurate, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I, if you look in the, uh, in the in the chat, I've actually posted a picture, I've taken a screen grab from the film of uh, of, uh, of the AI, um, when he teaches AI to the class. It's like, oh, there you go, that's, oh, that, that's it. That's AI, that blackboard, that's it, it's all you need. That's how you make robots work, that is. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I think having the neurosurgeon, it's a nice <laughs> thing to uh, put in your marketing, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of... Uh, so maybe there is in some of that, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything about neurosurgery. What, what do I know? No, <laughs> just, just, just some arrows and stuff, that's it. And then, you know, I, it's, the the AI section of this, I was like, oh, what, what? <laughs> I mean... AI actually was, <clears throat> like I say, the novel was called Friend. The first draft of the script was called Friend, I think. But uh, there was a, a subsequent draft or a couple of drafts called yeah. Artificial Intelligence. Yeah. Of, uh, and then it was eventually shortened to AI, AI. And then they went back to Friend, but just put the word deadly in front of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Because it's got Wes Cra- Craven. Well, we need something horrific, don't we? Don't exactly. We? Exactly. Um, I mean, I think one of the things you can say that there's a lack of identity because it was originally intended to be made as a family film like Short Circuit. And the first cut was was delivered as such, but the producer, well, Warner Brothers, insisted that Craven add more gore. Um, Craven had wanted to make a family film because he'd seen uh, at that point Starman, John Carpenter's Starman, and, and Carpenter's moved from sort of adult fare to sort of family friendly material with Starman, and Craven wanted to do something similar, um, and he actually showed, according to Swanson, that Craven showed Starman to Swanson and said that was the tone that he was after, um, and he, as I say, he wanted to move away from <clears throat> the more adult horror science fiction material that he'd been associated with. It's kind of the opposite of Conan the Destroyer that we talked about a while back, with the, mm-hmm. you know, where you've got a, a adult film that's made more family friendly. This was a family friendly film that was made more adult. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I can, and it, just reading, you know, reading through some of the bits, you, you can see that it's it 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 just you know these films just seem weird it's so much you know studio intervention oh this is what the kids want but but explode heads in exactly exactly yeah yeah that's that's what i mean i'll come back to the preview audiences in a minute because i got a quote from uh, craven about the preview audiences but uh, they previewed it essentially to a, a horror uh you know a crowd of horror fans and and uh and and Heads, you know, put more gore in, and, and it will end up with a, you know, we'll have a a, a Craven, a West Craven picture. Um, 
<clears throat> in the drafts of the script, subsequent drafts, Bruce Joe Rubin moved away from the Frankenstein concept to the novel towards that relationship between Paul and, and BB. Uh, that was inspired by E.T., you know, the relationship between Elliot and E.T., BB. You can you can hear that in the voice, can't you? Sorry, I'm not mm-hmm. doing very well. Um, and Craven has said that we started off doing a picture that Warner Brothers indicated they wanted to do, a macabre love story with a twist. About five weeks into the shoot, they realised who I was <laughs> and told all of that. Realised who I was and told me not to be inhibited by what they had told me in the past in a way I'd held back. So in the last week of shooting, I made up one little nightmare scene and put it into the film. It was the hit of the screening. So then they came to me and said, listen, what we need is more of that stuff. What we're doing is adding to the deaths of a few people, a jump for the beginning, a new closing scene and two nightmares. That sort of Wes Craven touch. Mm-hmm. And that was after the uh, Craven's original cut had been shown to a horror audience by Warners. And Craven has said about that audience, they got in a heavy metal hardcore audience who had been told they were going to see a Wes Craven film in quotes. So this horror audience was totally pissed off that there, there were there there wasn't more blood and guts in it. And the studio did a 180-degree turn at the last moment after the film was done. And um, it was the vice president of Warner Brothers, Mark Canton, who insisted on the addition of six gore scenes uh, to the <laughs> film to make it easy to mark. Because you just insert those in and all of a sudden you've got a horror film, haven't you? You know, you could take Bambi and put in you know, six a horror scenes. Yeah, that's right. And a nightmare yeah. where somebody gets stabbed with a, a or, you know, the, the was cut off with a machete. And all of a sudden Bambi's now a... A uh, a West Craven film. Oh, we can, we see the we see the gunshot blow off her mum's head. Exactly, a basketball squashing an elderly <laughs> lady's, uh, you know, uh, 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 head. <laughs> anything, really. Don't really anything. matter. Anything can become a horror film with just yeah. some gore. Yeah, but but they, they they wanted to make it easy to market based on Craven's association with horror. And the poster's kind of, the American poster at least, with Sam at the window with a billowing curtains. Mm. So it links it visually to the poster for A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and the, the American poster actually declares, from the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street comes his most terrifying creation uh yeah i think we disagree with that really. did, you, did you think that the um the image of her at the window on the poster that's over your shoulder is also quite reminiscent of uh, the classic image from salem's lot it is yeah yeah definitely absolutely but <clears throat> i mean apparently uh, and i mentioned this a bit later but in my notes but, excuse me Apparently, the original ending was uh, of that that preview cut was Sam appearing in a in a white dress to um, uh, to Paul um, after she's been shot by the police, and, um, and 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 it's a dream sequence, you know, and, and she says goodbye and so on. And I wonder if that poster sort of alludes to that, you know, because she's on that image she's dressed in white, isn't she as well? But yeah, it looks. Mm. I mean, I, I did that a conference paper. You might I don't know if you remember that one, lady, but uh, about. Um, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, how representations of the supernatural and the ghostly, the ethereal, in films borrow from how uh, uh, that idea of the ethereal, the afterlife, is being represented in art. And one of the big things is the use of windows, isn't it, to se- separate or glass panes to separate one world from the next. I mean, mm. in that conference paper, I showed a. Um, a clip from The Innocents, you know, the, the first appearance of the ghost in The Innocents, uh, played by um, Peter, um, oh, Jason King, Wingard, uh, you know, behind the uh, behind the, the nanny 
um, he appears, doesn't he, on the other side? <laughs> that, I mean, it's such a recurring trope. In, yeah, in, yeah. That, that uh, you know, it's at the established visual paradigms of, of of the ghost film, or you know, the the fil- a film about the ethereal is to have, you know, the supernatural entity on the other side of a pane of glass. Yeah, I it's, always go go to um, uh, Prin- Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Exactly. Exactly. Where yeah. they come through the pane of glass. Yeah. The, yeah. Towards the end, isn't it? Yeah, and that symbolises the breaking. I mean, we, we don't get that really <laughs> in this film, but it's on the poster, the American poster. And that, I think, well, even on the British video cover, um, I think it's got the 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 window frame with the with the, the the pane broken and the curtain billowing in, mm. and Sam sort of appearing. So that, that's how that's how they were marketing it. Um, of course, none of that's really in the film. <laughs> it's not really about ghosts. It's about, you know, uh, friendly robots that kill people. Um, E.T. gone haywire. Haywire. E.T.'s not a robot. Yeah. Um, so uh, the um, the scenes, or some of the scenes that were added, uh, I mean, one of those, I mean, we have to talk about this, is this spectacular exploding head. <laughs> well, come... let's, let's build to that, shall we? Should we build to that? We can Cause do it, that, I think because yeah. I think you know that's probably the the, the climax of the gore really in it it's because uh, I, I I was um that opening scene I just want to sort of speak about if we were sort of talking about sequences that opening sequence that was added um was that added you know where the, yeah. where the thief tries to nick a bag out thing in BB because if this is supposed to be a you know what is BB because I thought it was going to be a killer robot and that's why I was thinking have I seen this 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 familiar um and so obviously the whole first half of the film is the robot until he gets you know shot up yeah and so they sort of hint that this this, you know little sequences where that where that robot doesn't seem quite you know quite well adjusted should we say um that opening sequence alludes to that and that's that's the weird thing it just seems and then once that because what you get past that opening sequence where you know it nearly strangles that thief the, the guy um and obviously it lets him go when he sees him coming back and the guy's like what, what was that but then it's just it's like oh it's just a nice little robot who you know <laughs> i know yeah well, well this is i mean the, playing, when bas- I, playing basketball and yeah stuff and, uh, when, when i rewatched this that, that opening scene you think this is setting up a completely different film because there's there's uh paul and his mother have uh stopped on the way to welling haven't they at a or something and um, this guy sort of jacks into the kit it reminds me a bit of uh, robocop 2 you know the, the the car uh the car alarm thing that electrocutes the, the <laughs> yeah you know uh, the, 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 yeah. The, the the thief um but yeah this was added by um at the behest of mark canton he wanted a, a, an opening sequence that sort of was a bit scary <clears throat> so the car thief tries to steal paul and his mother's car looks in the back sees bb bb's off screen at that point i think do we hear we go, bb bb that's what we hear yeah yeah and, and the, the car thief says hey you're kind of cute <laughs> and then bb grabs him by the BB throat grabs him by the throat and chokes him and he, it's all the while it's bb bb <laughs> and paul and his mother arrive bb drops his car thief the car thief sat there you know bewildered and the drive off to Wellington there's all that sort of happy music and so on and so forth um, I mean I think like you say Aidy it's clearly clearly intended that opening sequence to enable it to Warner Brothers to market the film as a horror picture yeah so you know BB the cutesy robot though who in the next couple of scenes is shown being sort of you know quite sort of graceless because he needs he, he, he obviously he's on wheels so he can't go up and down stairs a bit like a Dalek um uh, and, and plugging himself into the um, the outlets yeah. of the new house and stuff. So you know, but he's cute. See, he's he's, he's he reminds me a bit of um, 
bumblebee in, in you know but, well but yeah very much so it's like a rubbish bumblebee yeah it's, yeah. Like, it's like you know it's like one that needs some uh, honey given to it quickly exactly because uh, it's nearly dead it also reminded me um <clears throat> not just obviously the, the short circuit uh, you know, short circuit illusions are pretty obvious but also that other film we watched the uh peter o'toole one Creator, yeah. What, Creator, well, where, where, where he's got these his own pet robot in his in his <clears> house, you know, yeah. that, that electrocutes his bed for no reason. Yeah, well, I, 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 I think about that still, and I'm still bewildered. <laughs> well, I, I, we'll probably talk about that later because there are parallels with Creator, which I was sort of yeah you know, revisited these two. So, and I watched Reanimator as well. Uh, okay, we well, good lord. Yeah. But I've been watching Reanimator a week or two uh, a couple of weeks ago, and again, you know, I said in the Creator piece that. Obviously, there are parallels with the animator. The poster's kind of the similar syntactic structure in the poster with different paradigms. You know, it's not not horror, but you know, the, the laboratory with somebody appearing behind, and you know, the, the the sort of the paraphernalia in front and so on. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly with this. <clears throat> so we'll come on to creator, I think, a bit later. I mentioned creator again, but you've got this cutesy robot, babbles like an infant, but it's introduced as as almost murderous. <laughs> And, yeah, exactly, and and also as well, the other thing that this this film did as well, because I um, was trying to remember if I'd seen it, and, and and I couldn't quite place it, but it did. But the it, it borrows on the uh, moving house trope as well of uh, so many horror films. Oh yes, um, absolutely. But but then doesn't really lean into that very much, um, not not in any great way. So many houses, you know, you move into a haunted house. That's yeah. That, that's just you know I've, I've seen so many of them recently it's just ridiculous but this sort of this also you know once you've got that horror inference at the beginning you're looking now you're like oh they've moved house something bad's going to happen why did you know that was there as well I thought. yeah i mean it's in, in i'll come, come back to bb in a second but that that moving house trope as well you've got this it's the suburban gothic isn't it you've got basements and attics and, and the, the tool shed and and <clears throat> you know, these yeah. are places of secrets. This is the classic sort of trope of gothic fiction, isn't it? The, you know, the, the mad woman in the attic, the secret in the basement. You know, the two yeah. kept in the outhouse. You know, yeah. and um, which, which, uh, you know, something like poltergeist sort of used so effectively. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and those gothic tropes in, like I say, sort of suburban gothic, but uh, in, in the 80s, well, the 70s and the 80s, those gothic tropes became, sort of moved into the suburbs in a lot of American fiction, like Poltergeist, and uh, uh, obviously precursors to that, not in the suburbs, but Burnt Offerings, and, um, yeah. and, and The Shining as well, and, and you know, there's so many of those sort of haunted houses, and, and you get that this is... Sort of a, this film's alluding to that, isn't it? I think. Um, yeah. Although, I mean, even even Nightmare on Elm Street, isn't it? Well, I was going to say Craven's films are classic. You know, it's People Under the Last Stairs. On the left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, People Under the Stairs. If you think about, you know, the, the cavities in the walls, and that's yeah. a good film. People Under the Stairs. Um, but um, uh, yeah, B, 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 back to BB just for a bit, because because his eyes glow red, don't they? That's that, that's kind of the the point at which. BB's. Why have you put red lights in his eyes? Yeah. Oh, no reason. No reason. <laughs> so when he's well, going to kill somebody, we it's, know. It's just yeah. When he goes a bit evil, I need to. I yeah. need some warning. Yeah, but why would he go evil? I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Why would he go evil? I don't know. Well, why have you put red eyes there? Well, I don't know. <laughs> just give him normal eyes. Yeah. But uh, I mean, uh, he does it as well when the um, Tom and Paul are attacked by the uh, thugs. The local hoodlums. The, oh, the, 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 the Shades gang. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> the made me laugh. Convincing middle class, you know, hoodlums. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, put, uh, just put sunglasses on them, then they look bad. 
Yeah, but, but BB's eyes go, go red then, don't they, when he grabs that guy by the balls. I think, so, um, yeah. I, I think you know, at that point, when when Paul says to Tom, I want to steal the body of me, me girlfriend, <laughs> <laughs> and put BB's mind, you know something bad's going to happen, don't you, I think? <clears throat> you know, I think well, it foreshadows that, but it's it's not, you know, in the context of the, the narrative, that opening sequence is, is weird. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's it's all very odd, um, and also yeah, it, it's so mixed up. It really is. It's so it's like I said. It it, it feels that a whole opening, apart from those couple of little bits, just feel like a, a, a Kurt Russell Disney movie. You know, it's it, yeah. it's so totally that, and uh, and obviously as well that the guy who plays Paul, uh, what's his name, Matthew Matthew Levito, yeah. Matthew Levito was obviously known for Little House on the Prairie. Um, so it, it just whether it was put, cast because of that, um, because of those sort of wholesome image that he he, he probably had. Um, well, it's quite interesting you mentioned that, Aidy, because the the writer the the, the novel um, Diana is it Fencher Diana Fencher um, Diana Henstall, sorry, she objected uh, uh, when she saw what was being done with the film to the casting of Matthew Labato because the point the, 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 the Paul in the book is 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 nicknamed Piggy, I think. Yes, and he is. Yeah, sort of yeah. fat, antisocial sort of kid. Incel would call them these days. A thirteen-year-old incel in the making, perhaps. We would, we would yes. And, she, and, and Diana, uh, 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 the author, said about uh, Matthew Labateau's sort of portrayal as Paul. Well, you know, surely he could get a girlfriend. He doesn't. You know, he's, he's a bit socially awkward for this sort of, you know, handsome young, well-adjusted. But you know, as a fifteen-year-old, he's got a quite a quite a good access to people's brains. There's yeah. that one sequence where he's operating on a brain. You're 15, yeah. mate. Oh, I, I want to come back to that. So that that's one of my favourite edits in mid-80s uh, American films. I'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, I mean, that scene with Lee Carthy does have a, a bit of a call. Well, it just, it's not a callback because that was added after after the film was shot. But at the end when Sam or Baby, she jumps out of the uh, that window... And she attacks Tom because Tom's going to call the police. Mm. And uh, Paul intervenes and, and she she grabs hold of Paul, doesn't she? She throttles him mm. and then realises. So I think that's I don't think that was deliberate because of course that that opening sequence wasn't conceived of until after the film had been shot or principal production had been completed. Mm-hmm. But uh, it it sort of mirrors it you know nicely in a way. Um, but. Uh, uh, but yeah, so so that was the opening sequence was one of those that was added. The other sequence that uh, um, one of the other sequences that was added was the well, well there were two more earlier, but we'll come back to those because I think we'll probably talk about those in greater depth in a second. So we'll go over the other ones a bit quicker. Uh, where the sequence where Sam kills her, her dad, or Sam, she's been brought back, you know, by yeah, Paul. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. She lures him to the basement with a bottle of bourbon on the stairs. <laughs> Bourbon it is. I don't know if it's a real one, but, but he goes, "Oh, a bottle of bourbon." And she reads, <laughs> it reminded me of a uh, of uh, like some kind of uh, uh, roadrunner yeah. <laughs> with with birdseed. But it, I mean, there's a there's a lot of play on on, on that that sort of stairs and basements in eighties films. If you think of Evil Dead, Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yes, with, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, uh, what's the name reaching to this? And there's also a, a great slasher film called Alice Sweet Alice made in 76, which has a character coming down the stairs. And it, I mean, it's said that your ankles and, and your wrists and, and, you know, these are sort of, there's something Freudian about those because they're vulnerable parts of the body. Yeah. 
and, and so you got people under the stairs. There's the there's the you know the classic shot. You know there's the Exorcist got the stairs exactly. at the end, doesn't it? Um, and, and so I think this idea coming that in your ankles being vulnerable. I mean, I hit my ankle either week. So I know you about did. This. Uh, but bless, oh, bloody that that that's so it's that's swollen. It's really badly swollen at, at the moment. Uh, I should put it up really. But um, uh, but but yeah. So he comes down the stairs. He's a bottle of bourbon, and she reaches through and sort of grabs his ankle, and he falls down, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, does she 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 twists his wrist back, doesn't she? It's quite a. Well, she she, 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 she twists um, a rubber glove back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not a real human wrist. <laughs> no, that's uh, no, no 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 skin bent <laughs> makes that kind of yeah that, that stretchy rubberness. <laughs> she breaks his neck. Does she break his neck? Uh, I, 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 I think she does, and then, and then she throws him into the. Uh, the furnace and Paul's come down. Yeah. Paul Paul interrupts and he pulls Harry from the furnace. And there's, there's that. I mean, this is bearing in mind this this was conceived as a kids' film. You've got that lovely held close up of the charred face. Uh, yeah, massively charred face. It's like, oh, that's quite unpleasant. And and, and there's there's a later a, a later sequence that was also added where Paul has a nightmare about being attacked in bed by that severed head, charred severed head of Harry, doesn't oh. it? As well, that was something else that was added by um, Warner Brothers. But that, I just was, wanted... that that reminded me of uh, Ghostbusters. The dream yeah, sequence in yeah. Ghostbusters. It, it, I'll tell you what it reminded me of more than Ghostbusters. Zombie three, uh, <laughs> Lucia Fulci's Zombie three, when the severed head jumps out the fringe. <laughs> well, and there's also the, um, of course, the animator, Bride of the Animator, when you know uh, Her- Herbert West, in his infinite wisdom, decides he's got a, a sentient severed head of his enemy that is alive and, and conscious and quite sort of cunning, and he's, yeah. he decides to graft bat wings onto it. And it <laughs> oh yeah, oh god, <laughs> yes. Remember, that's, yeah. that's, that was a bizarre decision. Um, but the <laughs> idea of the bad dad being burnt reminds me again, it's Freddy Krueger, isn't it? You know, um, yes, very much so, yeah, the child abuser. <clears throat> exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the abusive adult who gets thrown in a yeah, thrown in a hot place. Yeah, I mean, that, that I'll, I'll probably talk about that later. I mean, I think it's worth mentioning now, actually, is that that, that, that motif in, in Craven's work of the, the uh, good family and the bad family that you see in, I mean, of course, it's in Last House on the left because you've got the 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 parent of, uh, I forget what the two girls are called, but uh, the parents that, one um, uh, is a dentist and his wife, and the, the daughter goes out and she's with a friend and she's attacked by Krug and company, the David yeah. Hess gang. Well, and, I think you, uh, you, you could even, I mean, just sorry, just you could go go, go is it further forward, but her, I think it's more prevalent in Hills Have Eyes. It is, yeah, I was going to well. say. It's a theme that you see in Last House on the left that's developed in the Hills of Eyes and the contrast between the, the sort of the civilised family and the cannibalistic family. Yeah. And people under the stairs. I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street. You, you, it's a recurring theme, I think, in Craven's work. But uh, uh, but here you've got, of course, the two single-parent families. You've got Paul with his mum, and his mother's very nurturing. She's staying when she needs to, because there's a point when she tells him off for leaving his $200 sleeping bag out. Oh, yeah. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> That Sam's been keeping in in the tool shed, um, and she, you know she says when, you, when you're working <laughs> for when you're working for IBM and you're earning a hundred thousand a year, then you can leave your sleeping bag out in the garden or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but she's a, she's nurturing, isn't she? Uh, uh, Paul's uh, uh, yes, very much so. Yeah. Whereas Sam's dad Harry is you know, <laughs> deeply unpleasant, shall yeah. we say? Even though even though at one you know at one point they slip her a roofie and nearly kill her. <laughs> well, no, that's that's a bit out of left field as well, isn't it? You know, the, the, the sort of the, the slip the uh, slipper of Mickey in a drink. 
and, and they're watching. I can't remember what they're watching on the television, um, but uh, but they go out and steal Sam's body from the uh, the hospital, mm. and they come back and and and, uh, and Paul's mother's still asleep, and it's a bit concerned that <laughs> she's dead. That they killed her. Yeah, oh, no. oh, this, and the scene seems to be played slightly for laughs. I'm not quite sure, you know. Well, anyway. there's loads because it's like. Um... Before we get to the more gory pieces, just saying bits of playing scenes for laughs. There's that's um, there's a bit later on where the friend faints at the side of the bed. Is it? Or yeah, yeah. He just like it's like it's like like you can almost put a comedy sound effect on it. Um, it's just so weird. It's so totally <laughs> strange. What, what sequence? Of, well, I can't remember which bit that is. What's happened to that bit? Did, is it the bit where they say, "Oh, we they think we've seen"? She thinks she saw Sam at the window or something. I think so. Yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he just collapses, sort of <laughs> panto style. <laughs> I don't know, but um, um, I mean, so the the the, the basement burning in the face, Paul's nightmare. The other major sequence that was added is that nightmare sequence where Harry creeps into Sam's bedroom, and maybe we'll talk about this before the basketball. Yeah. Uh, he as I'll touch you whenever I like. It's creepy, that is. And uh, Sam drives that glass vase into his chest, and there's sort of geezers of blood spurt out, you know. And it, it seems quite clearly Freudian, that. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> sort of a metaphor for ejaculation, shall we say. Yeah. Um, and, and the blood shoots out, out of his chest all over Sam's face, and there's a bit of a story that Swanson said there was a couple of incidents when uh, they were shooting that scene. I think she, she's the first time they shot it, she she hit um, Harry, the actor playing Harry, with the, the vase in his chest. I think she, she thought she'd genuinely sort of, you know, <laughs> pierced his chest with glass. Oh and then um, there was another, and I don't know how you can make this mistake, but when there was when they were shooting the scene where the blood sprays on her face, she, she panicked. And she, you know, because she started to feel sort of claustrophobic, I imagine, and because uh, there's so much blood, isn't there? Yeah, and, it's, uh, it's the blood, the blood khaki scene, as I called it. Yeah, and she actually, she actually said to, uh, she actually said she cried out, "More blood!" <laughs> more blood, and so, I don't know how you can make that. You say less blood, please. Wouldn't you, Charles? <laughs> but uh, I, I think that's that's, um, yeah. I mean, I don't, do you think the am I stretching to say it's Freudian? Hey, no. I don't. I sat, so. I, I sat there watching it and it was just like <laughs> again it's that totally inconsistent bit you, you're yeah. just watching it go, what the hell is this what's happening here to be honest um, when I watched this uh, I don't know you know I was um, 12, 13 maybe I don't think I understood that I mean I I just thought Sam's dad was hitter and um, but that scene hints at sort of sexual abuse, doesn't it? And, well, I, uh, I I think there's yeah, I think the the sort of sexual abuse undertones, overtones, clear you know clear tones, whatever you want to call them, so um, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, you, you've got and her, you know her, you know putting the chair up against the door and exactly yeah. you, know, you know you don't t- I'll touch you wherever I want that. I mean that's in her. Don't forget this is all in her dream, so. I mean that that's not going to be in her dream unless that's happening. I would have thought. But again, this was a sequence that was added after production. No, so. no, no. I know. No, what I'm saying is, I mean, there's a, the the sexual sort of abuse connotation from that scene is only 
it's only with her saying that line because oh, yeah. actually it's said in her she's still saying that in her dream because that whole sequence is in her dream isn't it exactly yeah so yeah. would she be saying that if there was no sexual abuse going on probably not maybe i'd probably yeah. not yeah. so th th i think the the inference there is that she is being abused in in you know in, in unpleasant many unpleasant ways should we say yeah, yeah. but again look, look, what i was saying was that that that, that scene's in the nightmare isn't it so that nightmare was added after production so i'm not entirely sure you know the extent to which that that was a subtext in the original edit oh it, it, i'm not sure yeah uh, it, yeah i suppose if you take that out it just seems like a I, I still think though you'd look back on it and you know what we know about the 80s now you watch it now and i think even without that dream sequence you would you would probably assume there was some form of physical abuse whether it's yeah. sexual or just mental or whatever it was, but I, you know, the abuse is clearly there because she's terrified. Yeah. But I, I think you would take a step and probably go, "There's probably been some unpleasantness, you yeah. know, that you don't want, yeah. you don't want to think about." Yeah, yeah. I mean, notably as well, that nightmare sequence is the first scene that's not focalised through Paul or BB as well. I think that's quite interesting. I mean, a bit later on, we get scenes that that are presented from the perspective of Sam, but they're only after Sam has been mechanized mechanized yeah yeah so so again it's sort of if, if you say that the film's driven by the the point of view of paul and bb and and we get sam's point of view after she's been mechanized by you know inserting bb's microchip into her brain yeah. adding that sequence sort of takes detracts from that emphasis on paul and bb's point of view i think perhaps it's sort of yeah it's an yes. issue of focalization isn't it but um yeah so, it's just, yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. Unless, I mean, is it clear that she's the one having the dream? Well, that's a good point, actually. Maybe it's Paul yeah. having the dream of, you know, worried about her. You could speculate, but it's 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 such some of the, those. Uh, just what we were saying is is that those scenes that were added by uh, at the behest of Warner Brothers feel so out of place, they feel disconnected, don't they, from the main? Oh, mass massively, yeah. They don't. Like I said, tonally, the rest of the film. Could be you could put this on in after take all the gore out and everything and the weird bit. I mean, you could leave in the you could probably leave a bit of that opening bit in. You could certainly leave the bit with the bikers in, yeah, because uh, that's you know that's kind of lighthearted, lighthearted you know nonsense. Play for a bit of laugh, yeah. But but the the gore and the the weirdness that yeah you know you could just allude to that. But I don't know. It, it's a straight it's a strange film that seems neither one thing nor the other. Neither um, fish nor fowl. Yeah, I mean, even it, it, you're talking about, you know, shoving a microchip into your dead, not even girlfriend's head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's, well, when they're plotting that, she's not dead yet. She's still on the life support, isn't she? And then yeah. The hospital and they've turned the life support off. Yeah. Uh, just going, I mean, you know, um, that, 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 that's the. We, we mentioned uh, Creator and, and that, that, that rush to save. Um, where Tom and Paul wish to sort of steal the body of uh, Sam from the hospital after she's been put there by her father. That's what reminds me of Creator, I think. And and you know, yeah. and also yeah. the, the sort of the university setting too, the, the academic setting, um, and the animator as well. You know, because in in, in all of those, you've got a, a recurring motif of a male character that's lost a female lover and tries to resurrect her. Um, I mean, of course, that's not the abiding theme of the animator, but I always think back of the, the closing sequence of that when um, um, De uh, Dan Kane um, uses 
Herb West serum to resurrect Meg. Um, yeah. Meg Halsey after she's been uh, attacked by the. Well, it's, um, it's just you know life like the theme of life life after death life from death. Yeah. Um, you know de- defeating de- defeating death in some way. Well, there's um, a real sense. It, Sort of anxiety about men losing female lovers, yeah. isn't there? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, not being able to let go. Um, yeah, that that yeah. So I suppose in in creator, um, both because obviously Peter O'Toole's it's Peter O'Toole's raison d'etre in it. That's his entire drive exactly. for the film. Yeah, yeah, and then his young protege. What was her name? What was her name? I can't remember. I can't remember the name from it. Is it Barbara? I don't know what you know. Uh, uh, hey, Virginia Madsen. Yes. Yeah. I can't remember her name in the film itself, I though. Um, I think it's Barbara. I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking of uh, Night of the Living Dead. Um, uh, but that 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 you know that sort of young young man unable to let go, and that will do anything they can. And it's, you know, in in creator at least, it's 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 not so. You know, it's more more real, not realistic, but you know, you know, this this takes the other route is like that goes that goes full Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas you know. <clears throat> In, in creator at least there's that feeling of if if we if we it's almost a, a bit more spiritual I, I i think to create you know if we pray enough and we hope enough then they'll come yeah. back yeah um in yeah. this then this it's like now just shove a chip in their head yeah yeah i mean i do like it that that race to to get sam's body when uh just they they like like you said the slip Paul's mother, a, a, a Mickey Finn, and uh, they steal the the camper van. Is it camper van? Um, yes, yeah, something like that. And um, you know, to drive to the hospital. And Tom says to Paul, "Where do you learn to drive?" And Paul says, "Between the house and here." That's a good gag. <laughs> I like uh, yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you say, it's it's the Frankenstein thing, um, creating life from death. I mean, as I, I said earlier, I've been writing some um, uh, articles about Hammer's Frankenstein films, and the one. That stuck in my head. One of my favourite Hammer Frankenstein films is um, when I was watching this, and I, I couldn't help having watched it in quite quick succession. Is Frankenstein Created Woman, and um, where Peter mm-hmm. Cushing um, uh, resurrects Christina, played by Susan Denberg, with the soul of Hans, who's a boyfriend, um, and then she comes back and seeks revenge against those who wronged her in life. And there seems to be a bit of that in here. I think there seems to be some sort of, you know, an element of, of, of Frankenstein created woman. You know, um, well, yeah, yeah, there is because I mean, if we talk about, you know, we've talked about the killing of the father, which is obviously the, the Sam, the Sam part getting revenge, and then obviously we've got the basketball scene. No, I want to come on to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are we going on to that now? Are we going to... <laughs> yeah, we'll come on to that now. Yeah, that so was which, the... Is the, which is the BB character getting revenge. Yeah, I mean, that was the other scene uh, of, of violence on gore that was added at the behest of, of Warner Brothers, which is where Elvira Pack, she's watching the bad seed on television, isn't she? You know, Mervyn Leroy's film, the uh, the girl. I th- that's a nice touch by Craven, um, mm. with a, the little girl that's a murderer. Um, yeah. And she's just been, I think, in that scene, she's just been uh, um, uh, uh, caught out. Um, um, I can't remember the, the actress's name, the little girl. But um, but yeah, so, so she's watching the bad seed on television, Adam Ramsey, Elvira Parker. And, um, uh, of course, BB Sam uh, sneaks into the house, um, having Elvira Parker having shot BB to bits in loving slow motion with a shotgun earlier. Yeah, we we do need to contextualise it, don't we? Because it's it's, it's it's Halloween night, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Halloween, and they've gone out and and they've why have they why have they decided to go? I can't remember why did it's they. 
Tom says, oh, let's, you know, wouldn't it be great? And Tom and Sam, wouldn't it be great if we rang, uh, you know, uh, Elvira Parker's doorbell? Yeah. Um, that'd give her a shock. Because they know, Tom knows that BB can um, break into the, the lock, that it's a yeah. combination, you know, using his uh, robotic skills. But Paul, Paul doesn't want him to, does he? Paul's hesitant, yeah. And he's sort yeah. of persuaded to it. And, and BB opens the lock. And then Paul shuts BB down with a remote control, uh, which is, you know, wireless remote controls in 86. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, back in the day when you had wired TV remotes. Yep. But he, he shuts uh, BB down with a remote control and BB closes. And Sam says, I'll, I'll ring the doorbell. And she goes up and rings the doorbell. And then she panics or screams. The alarm sounds. Yes. Siren. And she falls over. And the boys go to rescue her. They drag her into the bush. And then BB, which, make, which, which you know, makes no sense. It's closer to go out the gate. It's to go out the gate. <laughs> but BB, um, you know, uh, comes to uh, because his sentience. I mean, at that point, his sentience has been established by Paul in the dialogue. He said, "I, I developed the basic program." He sort of made up his mind after that. And um, so, so the sentient BB obviously knows that um, <laughs> you know uh, Paul is in danger, and Sam and Tom <clears throat> comes to wakes himself up. And then sort of bee, 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 bee. And I think his eyes go red again, doesn't he? he goes into the 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 driveway or the the garden path, I should say, it's not a driveway. And um Elvira's got the shotgun and she like now in my in my memory, I remember firing three shells out of a double barrel shotgun, but I, that might just be the slow mo because it's kind of a spectacular boom and spectacular slow mo, isn't it? Yeah, massively. You know. Um uh, and it's quite a traumatic moment that because this cute robot blown to bits. But that's why BB or Sam slash BB seeks revenge against Elvira, isn't it? Later for, for that for that action. Um, it's just, it just occurred to me actually that you saying that transform, Transformers go back to 1984. Yeah. And, and so is BB being yellow? They're called BB. It never even occurred to me. Is it Bumblebee? Yeah, well, that's what I wondered. That, that, is, it, that was... is, it, is it a direct reference to Bumblebee? Because it's the same colours. Just, well, it's just twigged. I wondered that, and, and I, I mean, my, my sort of Transformers timeline isn't isn't. I remember the the, the eighties movie, the animated one with uh, um, Austin Wells and uh, Leonard Nimoy and uh, Judd Nelson. Yeah, well, I'm just just looking on the on the wiki. They began in the uh, eighty four, early early eighties, so <clears throat> quite possibly. <throat> Bumblebee was part of the original lineup of the Transformers because he was in the eighties film, which was what's that, eighty five, eighty six? Yeah, I would yeah. imagine. So I don't know. It, it seems a very close, you know, because obviously in the Michael Bay films, Bumblebee's referred to as B, isn't he? I think. Uh, yeah, I think I, so. Yeah, I don't know if it was. I, I need to get a Transformers expert to tell me. I know what. <laughs> Maybe I should ask them actually. Um, oh, yeah. Whether that was something that was part of the original cartoons and stuff, I'm not entirely certain. Uh, but it could it could well be. It could be a deliberate sort of influence by uh, Transformers uh, or Far Far Formers, as my little boy used to call them when he was growing when he was <laughs> Far Far Formers, Daddy. Transformers, <laughs> Far Far Formers. Um, anyway, um, but uh, yes, yeah, so, so Elvira's in the house. She's watching the bad seed, and uh, she hears somebody outside. Um, and she goes, and, and the, the the lock's been broken, hasn't it? The door's been forced. And she yeah, closes, yeah. Instead of thinking there might be somebody in the house, she closes it. <laughs> goes back. Yeah. 
and relaxes. I would be searching the house with a shotgun thinking, well, maybe there's, something's broken in. <laughs> no, obviously they've broken the door with force yeah. and just left. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's, it's hard to scare Mama Fratelli. You know. It is, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then she, uh, and then Sam appears and she throws that basketball. But there's the sound of the basketball bouncing, isn't there, on the parquet well, floor? Yeah, because we have to sort of, because BB had thrown the basketball into exactly. Elvira's garden earlier in the film and she'd taken it into the it's house. With force. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he, that was quite mean of BB at that point. Like, I'm bored of basketball. <laughs> Oh, did he do it deliberately? I thought he was trying to get it in the hoop. Uh, well, I don't, well, A, it goes backwards. And B, it's, as you said, there's a lot of force there. It seems to me that BB is like, I'm, I'm fed up of you, you know, humans mocking me because I can't play basketball. This is going. It's like, it's like, you know, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. But again, you, you consider that the, I mean, originally, in the original version of the film, um, as I understand from, from research, what Sam slash BB does is throw Elvira through the front door, and and she was uh, sort of when when, when the uh, paramedics come to and, and sort of take her away, um, they they she's I think in the the original version there's a shot of her sort of hanging in, you know with half her body out the front door and half the body in the house mm-hmm. you know the glass window of the front door, and in fact when you watch the film when the paramedics are taking the body away. There is actually in the background you can see the the, the the glass pane in the front door broken, and that's a hangover from how that death scene was originally shot. But obviously Warner Brothers wanted more gore, so they added this this. Oh, they had this scene filmed with um, Sam hurling the basketball at uh, at Mrs. Park, Elvira Parker's head, which explodes in spectacular slow motion. I mean, that's you know in the unrated version that that's that's on on par with with scanners. Isn't it that that slow mo? Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. And and then the body sort of staggers about for ten or fifteen seconds, doesn't it? You know, without a head. Oh, that's <laughs> amazing! Yeah, the chicken shot. Yeah, I mean, that's just. Oh, it, I mean, it's so excessive and so ridiculous. But if you think about what you were saying, Ad, about the the foreshadowing with the basketball earlier and the force with which BB throws that basketball, very nicely foreshadows Elvira Parker's death. Mm-hmm. With Sam BB throwing the basketball, but of course that that death wasn't presented as such in the original version of the film. It was she was simply thrown through the door. Um, yeah. So, so you know, you can you can. I mean, yes, if you throw through the door, then that's one thing. But I imagine Craven just went, oh, what? Actually, we threw a basketball in there. Let's crush your head with a basketball. Yeah, somebody must have said there's that early scene with a basketball. Uh, apparently, that the fake head was filled with real cow's brain. Yeah, so, I saw that. That's quite <laughs> interesting. Lovely. Yeah, but it, again, that's another scene. That's the scene that you remember, you know, from the film. That's yeah. the one that I. It reminds me that that the real cow brains and what they used to do back in the eighties uh, reminds me of what they did in um, Day of the Dead. Yeah. Um, when the what's in it? Rhodes? Is it Rhodes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when Rhodes gets eaten, choking, 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 and they were um, it was real animal awful, wasn't it? That yeah. they that they used for the for the guts and everything, and they've been sat in the sun for a few days. That's what well, I, I remember reading. If I uh, may, they'd gone they'd gone off, had they? Yeah, I've got another good story. You know, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, Hammer Frankenstein film again. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you remember that one? That's the one with Dave Prowse as a monster. This is like a uh, sort of a a full body like Neanderthal suit. Oh, very very vaguely. Yeah, and, and there's a scene with uh, Shane Bryant, Madeline Smith, and Peter Cushing where where they transfer the brain of Professor Durandell 
uh, <laughs> into it was one of the inmates in the asylum uh-huh. into the to the body of this this beast played by Dave Powers, and it's very gruesome. The hammer at that stage, so you get this this shot of Peter Cushing, uh, well they use the bone saw, you know, and sawing uh-huh. around the periphery of the skull cap, and then you get the shot of Peter Cushing lifting this brain. Very, just just very... for our just for our listeners, what you can't see is Paul is actually acting all this out. <laughs> I am acting this he's out. Pro- he's probably going for it. <laughs> and then you get this this wonderful loving shot of this crane, empty cranial cavity, a very graphic shot. I mean, that was Hammer in the seventies, wasn't it? But uh-huh. uh, apparently, Shane Bryant said later that the brains were sheep's brains, real sheep's brains, and the the scene was supposed to be filmed on a Friday afternoon. And they had to, because they'd gone over the, the production schedule for that day, they had to shoot it on the, the Monday morning. And somebody, the pot guys, whoever, forgot to put the sheep's brains back in the fridge. So when they came to shoot that scene on Monday on the Monday morning, and they peel off the skull cap, and there's a sheep's brains inside, you know, this, this sort of fake oh. corpse's head. And, and Shane Bryant said he had to go off camera and throw up. But he said, Peter Cushing, you know, what a pro. He just you know, carried on, you know, with these rotten... I mean, left out on a three-day. Oh, I mean, probably, he know. probably lost his sense of smell years before that cushion. He probably couldn't smell a thing. So, so what? <laughs> it was, it was, it was awfully good. Gong, <laughs> gong. Yeah, I mean, real awful in films. I mean, that's what you want. Uh, but it's, it's kind of it, it, that that moment. Back to the defense. Sorry, um, uh, that moment is so ridiculous. I mean, it, it was cut heavily by the MPAA. Craven said in an interview that the MPA quote, this is quote, Craven's quote, not this is me, cut the shit out of the exploding head scene. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I can understand that, especially in the mid-80s. And uh, and then it was cut again for the, so when you and I saw it on the BBFC certified tape, it was uh-huh. even more heavily cut, um, but it, it still sticks in the memory. I mean, when, when the BBFC, when the MPAA cut the, um, I said that that had to be cut for an hour classification. Craven tried to protest. He created a videotape with a what he called a decapitation compilation, which is a tape containing various graphic scenes of decapitation that the MPAA had allowed in R-rated films and sent them that saying, well, why, why are you... I mean, <laughs> when you look at that sequence and it's in rated form, you think that's not quite... I, don't, I can't remember a great many American films with an R classification having such a graphic moment. Um, it's not even a decapitation; it's just an exploding head. Yes. And I know. think well, it's not just that; it's the it's the chicken walk afterwards. That's the, you know, it's, it, it yeah. goes on for it goes on for ages. You're like, it's, it's just so bizarre. It reminds me again. I don't know; it's the same. Yeah, I'm not saying there's any connection between the two, but of uh, you know, Doctor Carl Hill in the Animator. You know, when he's, yeah. when, when when he's resurrected and and and, and um, uh, Herbert West has, has sort of severed his head with that coal shovel, and uh, he reanimates the head, and then he reanimates the the body, and the body's sort of staggering about. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's played for laughs in the animator. Um, I'm not quite sure whether this is supposed to be played for laughs. I'm not entirely certain because the tone of the film as a whole is so all over the shop. Yeah. I don't know what I'm supposed to laugh at and what I'm not supposed to. So there's me sort of giggling at that. And, and, but it's so out of place. It feels like another nightmare scene, doesn't it? You, you, sort of, you watch that and you think, is that, did that really happen? That's yeah. stupid. That's and absurd. Then, yeah, and then there's just all the neighbours outside. Yeah, um, yeah. And then there's that great line. What's that crack line? Oh, I hear her, br- I hear her heads all across the wall or something. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, what? what the hell? Dear me. 
So, um, I mean, with 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 those uh, added scenes that the, the Warner Brothers had, had sort of requested be added, that we've talked a great length about, the MPAA struggled to pass the film with them now, and it went back to the MPAA 13 times. Um, and then, of course, that, that, that MPAA classified version was cut further by the BBFC over here for an 18 certificate. Um, I mean, the unrated version has been released on DVD in America and other territories. That was the, the slightly dodgy, I don't know, yeah, just just looking at that sequence again, when they wheel her out on the gurney, um, there's clearly a head on that body. Yeah, because that was it wasn't shot that way. It, yeah, that's what I mean. That's the weird thing because I remember watching it going, "There's a head there." Exactly. Yeah, Th- that'd yeah. just be like a it would just drop off past the, you know, past the chest. Yeah, yeah. Because there was nothing there, but now there's definitely a head in that gurney. So it it is weird that they would go for something so. I suppose they just didn't care, did they? No. You know. <laughs> They want, go- I- they want gore? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I would have got? What? Right? Is that line out of place? I watched this. I mean, maybe back in the 80s. I don't know. I don't think he was as chauvinistic as, as is often claimed. Is it, but, the tits, uh, is it the tits line? Yeah. yeah. When, when yeah. Paul meets Sam for the first time and Tom says, great tits. And yes. Paul says, you're telling me. And that's, you know, that's supposed to endear these characters to you. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm Maybe a bit sensitive to that kind of stuff, you know. But uh, uh, that's not. I I didn't raise an eyebrow at that line, but I would. I would have thought, you know, fifteen-year-old me probably watching it was. I'm going to say, you know, it's 1987. I probably thought the same thing. I'm not going to, you know, yeah, I'm a fifteen-year-old boy, so you know, what is what are what are you going to do? But it's not really. I mean, (laughs) but but I'm not. But but to be fair, fair, I'm not a man writing it. That's the difference, isn't it? And and you know, you're not a man writing a film in which a 16-year-old girl's playing a a girl that's being abused by a father, probably sexually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And 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 the way as well that 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 Swanson's costume. She's 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 very covered up, like as we know from safeguarding training. Kids that have been abused in that way often cover themselves very much. It's not like she's, you know. Exposing herself to to these boys and why Tom and Sam, Tom Tom and Paul, sorry, uh, sort of you know think it's appropriate to I don't know I mean I know fifteen year old boys probably say stuff like that they they very they, they very much do and 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 uh, so uh, I you know I raise my eyebrows because you're like oh good lord but you know that's uh, I, I I I think you fifteen year old boys do say stuff like that to, to each other it's just that's what they do. Maybe yeah. I was too weird. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. Well, actually, do they say it? Too? Yes. I mean, would I have said probably? To, I don't know. I wasn't, you know, I can't say I was a particularly progressive 15-year-old. I don't well, think anyone was in 1987. It's just struck me. Maybe they were commenting on the birds in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. It's just a bit of an on sector. Yeah, she's all right. Nice tits. Yeah, they are quite good, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> it just comes yeah, out absolutely. Like- we just need a we just need a craven insert of a of a you know a great tit on the uh, on the fence. Yeah, I mean, me, me as the male sort of, you know, I think that's that's a bit weird. But maybe I don't think I batted an eyelid when I watched this. I was 12, 13, 14 no, or whatever. You wouldn't at the time because that's the time we look on it now, and you know, fifteen year olds commenting on a sixteen year old girl's breast is a strange thing. But probably you know, from what you know, they, that, that, I remember being at school. That's not. It didn't seem out. Didn't you know? That's, I'm not trying to justify it here, but <laughs> I can see it, it raised my middle-aged, forty-odd-year-old eyebrows. But yeah, I mean, you yeah, see yeah, things but... differently as an adult, don't you? Know, exactly. 
But I think but, the the whole point is like, why bother putting it in? Exactly. Yeah. That's I that's, that, I, that's. I just that's, think you could cut that. It doesn't add anything to the. Really, does it? It doesn't add any. It doesn't say anything about Tom and Paul. It's not like a line in their character that's developed. No, but, and also, also as well, it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of at odds with the, how those three because it kind of colours a little bit of the the three of those relationship when they're playing basketball and being a bit, you know, just yeah, being yeah. a bit friends. And the, that that line, it almost undercuts. You, you you're thinking, oh, you're playing basketball, but you're you're probably thinking other things. And whereas, exactly, yeah. you know, maybe it was to undercut that like i said the uh the kurt russell disney film feel which would never you know that line would obviously never be heard in one of those kind of films but it had that feel but maybe they, they were trying to you know ap- appeal to that maybe that scene was added in or maybe it was later added, i don't know or, yeah i don't know yeah. It, feel, it, it feels odd but it does it does um there's it does, another this color the relationship somewhat yeah. between the three of them I mean, there'd be another sort of more effective way of, of sort of establishing that Paul's got eyes for Sam. Oh, she, she's pretty. Or, you, you, or, do you know what I mean? I think it's blatantly obvious from the very, very oh, yeah. beginning when they first meet that he, he yeah. likes her because, you know, he's like, oh, why don't you come over now and everything and come around and see my room. And there's clearly that, you know, she's a pretty girl. She's a pretty 16-year-old girl and he's a 15-year-old boy. Of course, he's, you know, there's going to be feelings. You know, he's going to be attracted to her. Yeah, but the, yeah, and I think I think that's communicated pretty well. It's the um, uh, yeah, just the choice I, of dialogue. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it did seem it did seem I did I, I agree <clears throat> it, did, it did seem out of place and did un, unfortunately did undercut the relationship somewhat because um, you do you then now oh, okay this don't don't seem as innocent I think is the word maybe exactly yeah 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 bit bit leery. Um, I mean, after the um, the original cut, there was some, some like I say, these gore scenes were added. Excuse me, put my teeth back in. These gore scenes were shot and added. But there was also some hefty re-editing in post-production by Michael Elliott. Um, uh, Warner Brothers brought Michael Elliott in to edit, edit the film and cut back a lot of the exposition and a lot of the romance between Sam and Paul. Because um, I think in the final cut, that does feel underdeveloped. Michael Elliott had also yeah. helped, helped Warner Brothers to re-edit um, showdown in Little Tokyo. That's a film, and, <laughs> that, and yeah. also, and I'm quite, I'm quite pleased with this one. Steven Seagal's Out for Justice. Do you remember Out for Justice? I do. I, I remember was, most of uh, Steven Seagal's three-word films. I like Out for Justice. <laughs> Mark, I mean, Mark for Death. It's a compromised <laughs> film because I mean, originally that was shot uh, with um, William Forsyth playing the bad guy. Anybody see Richie? You remember the bad guy William Forsyth? <laughs> Anybody see Richie? Um, but. Uh, most of Forsyth's, uh, because Seagal, as the star, wanted the film to focus on him, they cut out most of Forsyth's scenes, and that was Michael Elliott that did that. So it took, you know, quite an interesting film, potentially, about uh, sort of, you know, uh, nature and nurture, which is what that film's really about. You know, uh, can you take people out of their environment and um, and sort of turn it into a Stephen Seagal's, you know, smash mouth <laughs> hackathon. <laughs> You know, hitting people with pool uh, balls and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Elliot's the guy that we've got to thank for the uh, compromised version of Out for Justice that, that's available today. Um, and Showdown in Little Tokyo that was edited quite heavily. Um, but yeah, Elliot cut, cut out from this film a lot of the romantic scenes be- between Paul and Sam for, for sort of reasons of pacing. Which I think is a bit bit of a shame in some ways. I mean, if, if Warner's wanted to make a... 
to release a film that, that, that was more horror-themed or horror-oriented, you can see why they would want to do that. But on the other hand, that, that relationship between Paul and Sam does feel quite sort of curtailed, I think. I don't know what you think about it, Aidan. It does. It, it does. It, because what, you know, what ha- actually happens in the film and, and their desire to reanimate her without using the term reanimator um does it, it doesn't feel wholly earned no 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 um it it, it does you know i mean I, I i kind of i kind of understand you know he see to me it wasn't their relation so i the way i read it um and this may be strange something the way i the way i read the film was not that he wanted to bring her back but he wanted to bring bb back Yes, well, the, I think there's there's an element of both, isn't it? In that final cut, you know, that's that he, the, he's, he was more attached to his, he was more attached to his robot than he was to her, and so he saw an opportunity to bring the robot back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when she does come back, uh, as 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 we've said, it, the, her identity is a it's more BB than Sam, you know. And we know this from the behaviour, the mime. Uh, uh, you know the, the the performance of Christy Swanson with the the clawed hands and so on. That that when when Sam's brought back, what comes back is essentially BB in Sam's body, isn't it? And we get those point of view shots, as I said earlier, from that sort of pixel vision type filter uh, from her point of view, which links her point of view how she sees the world with how BB sees the world earlier in the film. Yeah, yeah. So when she comes back, there's that uh, hybrid identity isn't there, between Sam and BB. Well, it's more BB in Sam's body than, than anything else. Yes. And, uh, that's established by the point of view shots with a pixel vision type filter that we see from Sam's point of view. That changes at the end of the film, doesn't it? When um, oh, and, and for me, <clears throat> that reminds me of um, you know the use of the video filter in Robocop to convey Murphy's point of view. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And you've also got the, the red filter with the, the text overlay in the Terminator too. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end yeah. of the film, that, that, that Sam, that BB, or Sam sort of, Sam occupies her body. When Paul uh, chases her into the alleyway as the police mm-hmm. are pursuing her, and uh, we see from her point of view, and um, that pixel vision type, it glitches, doesn't it? And we see yeah. normally. Which also maybe uh, think of uh, American Werewolf. The end of that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and she speaks as Sam, not as BB. So at that point, you know, Sam sort of uh, uh, take. But then in a final moment, she becomes BB again, doesn't she? Because the cop has got the the sheriff or whatever it is. As yes. Point. And she runs with a clawed hands. <laughs> BB once more. So yeah. Yeah. Th- there is this sense, as you say, AD, of. Um, Paul bringing BB back more than Sam, if you like. Mm. Um, that that's what the yeah. So I think that maybe the the what what was cut, um, you know, completely undermines that. What if if that's what they were aiming for? If they were aiming more for it being Paul wanted to bring Sam back because he you know generated this relationship with her. It's it's undercut by you know by cutting out all their sort of more meaningful interactions from the earlier part exactly. of the film. And yeah. so all you all you get is Paul really likes his robot and sees an opportunity to to bring it back and and then he's a bit annoyed that it goes on a you know mad killing spree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of brains and microchips, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know what you think. I love that moment of juxtaposition when uh, Paul's uh, with Doctor Johansson and they are um, oh, the, oh the footsie. Yeah, 
got they've got the corpse and and and, and the, the 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 brain is exposed the skull cap's been sort of mm. cut away and uh, paul causes the foot to twitch by probing the brain i don't yeah. know why Do- i don't know why dr johansson's surprised at that i mean i'm, I'm not quite sure why he's why no I, i'm not and i'm also you know quite surprised of like i mean i often let my students play around with uh <laughs> with brains <laughs> and, and, you know especially my you know especially my fe students say what <laughs> I'm going to bring a dead body in today and I'm just going to cut the top off, top of the head <laughs> off, and you have a good you have a good fiddle round in there and see if you can twitch the toes. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's week three in delivery. Yeah. <laughs> Brain surgery. Yeah. Rocket science. Um, but we cut from that and it, that, that effect is used later. It's the same effect when uh, Paul puts the chip in Sam's brain, isn't it? It's the same sort of makeup effect. It uh, is, yes. You know. yeah. um, but we cut from that moment with the exposed brain to Paul's mother pulling the pumpkin seeds out of the, the, carved pup, the pumpkin that she's carved yeah. for Halloween. She's only carved the face in it. I was taking the seeds out first before carving the face. Don't know about yourself, Aidy. Uh, uh, yeah, I empty the pumpkin first. Just the, yeah. that's, the, that's the sensible thing to do, yeah. But she's yeah. already carved the face in it to anchor it. It's Halloween, I suppose. But she's pulling the... the and I, that's that's such a clever bit of juxtaposition from brain surgery to her pulling the seeds out of that pumpkin yeah. head. I think that's quite clever. Um, I mean, you know, the other thing that... that, that uh, I've got on my notes really is is uh, um, uh, of course the the sort of the adults as monsters theme which goes back to the bad families, um, and uh, in the sense that Craven has claimed when he was making this that he was less interested in Sam as a monster, you know Sam slash BB as a monster, and more interested on adults as monsters in human form in terms of Harry and Elvira Parker. Elvira, I've got a lot of sympathy for. I have to say, my middle aged self. <laughs> she just wants to protect her garden and her house. Yeah, well, uh, you know, double-barrel shotguns not always the best way to do that. I suppose she's but. an elderly woman living on her own. The kids want to come and sort of, you know, mess about in the garden. I can sort of see why she's got. She's a bit protective, but anyway, um, Craven said uh, along those lines. A father who beats a child is a terrifying figure. That's the one person you're, you're afraid of in the movie. The idea is along the lines that adults can be horrible without being outside what society says is acceptable. Well, I think beating your children is sort of not acceptable. I think that's outside what I would say is acceptable. But 1985. <laughs> we are talking about America in 1985, yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, well, um, even, even Britain in 1985, you know, clip around the ear, clip well, around I the mean, ear and, and, a, and a, a smack was not... You know, yeah. Well, that was that was just a de rigor back then. Do you remember corporal punishment at school, lady? I yeah, remember. yeah. I got I got the slipper. I got the slipper a couple of times. Use slippers. A mate of mine, uh, our school teachers used rulers. You know the wooden ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A mate of mine used to get called up uh, quite regularly. You know, in front of the class, and used to get the the ruler across his knuckles. And, uh, oh, and just to say, by the way, that I think that it's incredibly wrong. I'm not saying, you know, it didn't do me. Anything, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going down that route. Right. <laughs> if, if, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, God, no, they're turning into those. When I were a kid, it was great. It's a bit of a cut around the ear. Get out there, eat gravel. <laughs> <A> for your <laughs> Yeah, I'm not you saying that. You were lucky that. to live in a can, Bob. But <laughs> yeah. in a hole it, in the it was, it was wrong then. It's wrong now. It is wrong. You know, that, so <laughs> I'm not, don't, if you're listening but to it, this going, oh, my God, what are they, what's happened? It wasn't that's, long ago, I think. And, uh, no, that's what of, I mean. 35 I years. Talk to my own kids, and it's kind of like, I remember people getting whacked at school with a ruler. And I remember the, the head teacher had canes. I don't, don't remember ever using the cane, but he had canes. 
you know, that were there in the background. There's a bit of a threat. You thought, oh, if I mess about, I'll get, you know. And, and it's it's hard for people, I think, under a certain age to sort of, because it was prohibited. Was it like 88, 89, something like that? Um, but, yeah, it was quite a common idea. But I think the idea, you know, what Harry does to Sam, even in that context of corporal punishment being acceptable, you know. Well, is, that's, is... That's, a, that's a different film, isn't it, when Harry met Sam? <laughs> What I want to know is what happened to Sam's mother. Because um, in the original script, apparently, as well, this is something else that was trimmed. Um, there was a suggestion that uh, Paul's father was sort of abusive, I think. Um, the article, by the way, um, uh, I did it a second ago, um, is by, on, on the different versions of Deadly Friend and, and the different sort of drafts of the script, which has in, uh, it, the, the author interviewed uh, um uh, uh, Rubin and I think the, the, the novelist is by Joseph Madry. It's called Deadly Friend and Autopsy and it's on um, Daily Dead. Uh, it's a really, really interesting article, PDF. But uh, but yeah, uh, in the original version, I think that uh, I think Paul, there's hints that Paul's father was abusive. I'm not quite sure what happened to Sam's mother, but Harry says you probably told them all sorts of lies, just like your mother. And you get a, you get a feeling that he's done away with her, don't you? I don't, I don't know if well, that's. I, I, I was wondering whether you know the big furnace in the, the, you know, whether you're just reading stuff into it, whether there's some, whether there's some, you know, you, you put mum into the fire. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me reading into it, but it just it just seemed like the furnace underneath seemed. Um, because I do like, is it, is it the sequence? I think there's a sequence where Paul goes round to the house when he just before he finds it, and the flames coming out, the oh, lighting, the, the, lighting, yeah, the, lighting yeah. the lighting effect is like, yeah. good lord. I thought the whole thing was on fire at that point. Yeah, it reminds me, is it house where there's the furnace that's shooting the flames out of it? Is it uh, it's one of those 80s horror films, isn't it? I can see yeah. the image where this, it sort of comes alive and it looks like it's, I think it's house or house too. Um, and, and it looks like a gaping mouth with all these flames shooting out of it. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, you wonder you wonder if that's what why uh, Sam does that to Harry because that's what Harry's done to to Sam's mother. Yeah, it's a quite it's quite possible. I mean, you're reading something into it, but it, it, she seems to that with the basketball death, there seems to be some kind of um, sort of recrimination or for what this is what you did. So I'm going to do it back to you. Exactly. So it's, yeah. You know, it's it's that kind of reverse justice. Yeah. And that that so it may, it may be something to do with that, or it may be you know the reverse justice is just the bending of the hand because like you touched me, so I'm going to break the thing that you used to touch me with. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> I'm not sure. The, the oh, rubber hand. I have to say. Maybe it's just what 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 what's to hand? What's convenient? Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Tell you what, we've got a big fire. Just throw him in it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, earlier in the film, Sam's. Uh, um, when she turns up at Paul's house with a nosebleed, and Paul's mother says he could go to jail, meaning Harry, of course, because it's clear that he's struck. Uh, um, so, and that there's a bit of a callback later, isn't there, when um, uh, uh, Paul punches Tom. Tom's mm. saying he's going to go to the police and tell them about uh, BB and Sam, and and, and and Paul says no, don't. And they have a bit of an argument, and Paul punches Tom on the nose, and his nose starts to bleed. So that bit of a callback to this. But mm. Sam says. He's my father. Sometimes I want to roll a truck over his face, but he's still my father. So there's this sort of repressed desire for violence that, uh, 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 or revenge, if you like. She suppresses because it's not right. It's the superego, isn't it? But BB, the, the robot's all in. So when BB takes over Sam's body, 
then, of course, those that desire for revenge can enact itself. The other thing I like in, in, in terms of um, Harry's... Uh, not Harry's behaviour, but the way that it's staged is um, when when he when he does kill Sam and she's go she comes home after being at is it Thanksgiving dinner I think she's had at Paul's house. Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and she thinks her dad's you know pissed as out on the sofa and she looks and he's not there. He must be upstairs. And she goes up the stairs slowly and there's that high angle shot and then the low angle shot of the the the, the landing. And, and and her dad comes out and she thinks he's in one door, but he doesn't. He comes out the door behind her, doesn't he? And sort of mm. blows and strikes when she falls down the stairs and breaks her neck. But that seems like a very deliberate nod to Psycho. Can you remember Simon Oakland's death in Psycho when he's investigating yeah. the house and he goes up the stairs very slowly in the high angle shot and the low angle shot and then Mother comes out the door that you don't expect her to come out of yes. with a knife. Yeah, and st- uh, stabs him and then you get the classic full focus as he falls down the yeah. stairs. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know if you thought that that was that f- feels to me like a very deliberate sort of homage to to Psycho, a very de- deliberate reference to that that sequence. Yeah, yes. I'm, I mean, I'm just actually just looking at it now, but yes, I think it's definitely. I, I think there's the. I mean, obviously, you know, Craven's clearly versed in his cinema, you know, horror, cinematic horror. So I I don't think it's too much to think any of these shots, pulls, references, homages, whatever you want to call them. Um, they probably are, yeah. Yeah, I, I would imagine. I, I, I don't. Um, Very similar to it. Yeah. Also, I just want to give a shout out as well that the uh, just before the the basketball scene, um, I think Sam throws uh, Mama Fratelli, Elvira, into the wall. Um, yeah. um And I just want to give a shout out to the uh, the stunt man there, who I think gives a great performance. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, <laughs> that's not Elvira. <laughs> No, there's a couple, there's a couple of sequences where the, it's like there's clearly a stunt person. I think there's one point you can actually see the stunt person's face. Yeah, yeah. Um, which made me laugh. But yeah, that that bit where he, she gets strung across the wall, I was like, oh, that's a that's a whole different body shape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm coming towards the end of my notes, AD. Is there anything I, I want to talk about the ending? Well, the the ending. <laughs> I think you know we've, if we're, we're probably coming towards the end, but I think we need to talk about the ending because um, it makes no sense. No, I mean no. Let, let's just, let's just I put mean, it out there. It, it's stupid. Yeah, I mean let's contextualise it in the narrative sense. Sam Sam kills Harry. Paul exposes the nightmare. You know that, that the ambiguity of that scene is it? It's so ludicrous, isn't it? Um, in the final scene, Paul visits Sam. Or BB's body in the morgue. She's been shot by the sheriff or deputy or whatever it is after attacking Tom and being chased in the film's climax. Suddenly, he, he pulls out. Uh, she's in the uh, one of the uh, in one of the freezers, isn't she? He pulls her out, and she reaches for Paul, um, and, and again choking, which is a yeah. recurring motif in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but suddenly, she reaches for Paul. The flesh tears in a new, more humanoid robot that looks even more like Bumblebee from Transformers comes out. Yeah. As if yes. from a cocoon, Paul yeah. is checked and terrified. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, the original ending um, was, in the original cut, was that Paul had a dream in which uh, Sam, clothed all in white, appeared at the foot of his bed, I think, and, and said goodbye, essentially. Um, and then that was the, the end of the pic, the original cut of the film, apparently, from what I understand. Um, and that, that image of Sam dressed all in white, 
you know, it, it appears to be the image that worked its way onto the film's uh, American poster, at least, where you've got Sam dressed all in white with a sort of a white light behind her. I assume that's that was referencing that. Um, but this new ending where, you know, this weird hybrid robot thing. And again, it's a bit like what we were saying earlier about uh, um, the basketball scene is that it's so excessive and so absurd. You're not entirely sure whether it's a, it's a nightmare or not. I think no it's very it's very reminiscent of i mean obviously what's this it's 86 isn't it so we've had yeah. you know carrie friday the 13th you know these classic coders that we've had where the, the the monster's not dead um and so they're all trying to they're just trying to outdo each other and it, and it says in that article that you've got that this was not craven's idea was it, it was mark canton the guy from yeah, Warners. Yeah, and, yeah. and so you, you know like you don't argue with the boss yeah what what you Bruce, don't do is it's just stupid. Yeah, Bruce Bruce Rubin said that that robot coming out of the girl's head belongs solely to Mark Canton. You don't tell the president of Warner Brothers. I think it was a vice yeah. president actually yeah, of Warner Brothers that his idea stinks. Yeah, um, although you, and, you should have done really because it does. It's ridiculous. It's, it's because it, it make yeah. I mean because it's not clear if it's a dream or not. I mean I thought because I couldn't remember that ending. I think I just wiped it from my brain. Um, so I. My my expectation was what I thought was going to happen was you you were just going to start hearing a banging from inside the the, the you know the uh, what they call them the morgue cubicle thing well, yeah yeah wherever they put the dead bodies and they shut them up and they, everyone left and it kind of I thought just a nice ending would you you just start hearing a, a, a or you'd hear bb bb and that would that would have been all right yeah I get it that's fine but the the, the ending they went on is. I mean, I can only think the only film I, I think that kind of outdoes it for stupidity was the uh, Tim Burton Print Planet of the Apes one. Oh yes, yeah. Which is utterly ridiculous as well. But maybe this even outdoes that because it it, it get why what is it? It must be a dream. It's got to be the only way it can actually make any kind of logical sense is he him having that dream, him having another dream. But yeah. because it's left ambiguous, you're like, is it? Is it not? Is it just? Is it actually just that ridiculous? Um, and you know this this notion of the robot growing inside or what he's created it would be fine if it's his fear. Yeah. Um, uh, but I don't know. It don't it don't work in any way, shape, or no, form. No, no. As as it's presented. No. I mean, I think one of the abiding things that I take away from Deadly Friend is it's a mess. It's totally it's a mess. But there's there's so much, and <clears throat> the studio interference facilitates this. There's so much in it that 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 underscores that skill that that um, Craven had demonstrated in his previous film Nightmare on Elm Street, his ability to sort of you know deliver these sequences that through their excess feel ambiguous, you know as to whether they are moments of fantasy or moments of reality within the sort of diegesis yeah. of the film. I think yeah, because if you think about the um, the Johnny Depp death. In yeah, Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street, there's just, just the you know, like you said, the excess of blood that comes shooting out of the bed and it going up and onto the ceiling, which is this kind of blurring of the dreamscape and the, and the reality. But it but it kind of works in in because Nightmare on Elm Street is all about someone crossing over from dreams into reality. It, it works. It this doesn't is, work here. This feels this like a bad, a bad hangover part. after having a Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> it, 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 this film is not about dreams coming real. No. This is this is about science and. You know, science bringing back people from the Frank. You know, Frankenstein. It's you know, we've said it before. It's a Frankenstein film, um, and so that 
by putting in some weird body morph, body transformation morph is whatever, whatever that end sequence is of a, and it's not even BB. No, it's, well, it's a new humanoid. <laughs> it's not even Yellow a robot. Robot thing that looks more like Bumblebee from the new Transformers films. Yeah, it's sleek and a bit more. Maybe that's how Bumblebee came to be. Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe that maybe maybe then that's why he can't maybe that's why he can't talk. <laughs> BB then returned to his home planet, like 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 Poochie from uh, Simpsons. <laughs> his home planet of um, what's the what's the Transformers home planet? I can't remember. Um, Cybertron. Cybertron. So he returned to his own home planet of Cybertron. This is where he came from. Um, no, it's it's a uh, yeah. It left me just bemused um there's no other way to really put it because it just it needed some more con- concretization in the um actual filmic world that it would you know the diegetic world that it was creating but rubbish <laughs> rubbish yeah, i mean it, it it doesn't it doesn't work and it, it's it is a sop to the sort of slasher movie stinger isn't it you know it's, yeah that's, that's what i'm saying you know start, was it i mean probably that was started i mean you, you could you could say psycho had it a little bit with the you know Perkins is sort of look at the camera. Yeah, a bit more subtle in Psycho. Though. It's very subtle in Psycho, and then obviously I think Carrie. Is Carrie really noticed Carrie. the first one um, with yeah. the hand coming out the grave? Um, the, the first sort of mainstream. Uh, 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 you know, I'm sure there were there were examples prior to that, but uh, Carrie was kind of the first sort of big. Yeah, big it's the one that popularised it, and I th- then I think again. <clears throat> Friday the Thirteenth popularised it even further with the boat, um, oh, the, yeah, yeah, the boat sequence, and then this probably in all of them. And then the you know the the guy at Warner Brothers is like, well, we're gonna have that at the end. What you doing, man? We're gonna have <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna have some some stinger. You gotta come back as a, as a big old you know big old robot growing inside her. That's what I, that's what I want. Make it happen. <laughs> I hope he talks like that. Uh, in my mind, he does. And so they're all like. Mark, that's just a terrible idea. Make it happen, I said. <laughs> but it's a really, it's quite, it's a really gruesome effect, isn't it? When the flesh tears, it's all. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, but it is again. But it's, you know, it's inconsistent with the rest of the film, and and just, yeah, it's not. It's, it just makes no sense. And uh, uh, you know, if it had woke up, because we've already sort of had him have a dream where you know Harry's head comes and comes comes and visits him. Um, is it Harry, the dad? Is it Harry? Harry, yeah, yeah. Harry's yeah, yeah. dad. Yeah. So he dreams about his head, doesn't he? So he'd already had, he'd already been having some nightmares. So you just have to have him wake up, and then it's like, oh, that's a bit silly, but at least you know, Carrie style, Friday Thirteenth style. It's like yeah, this, yeah. it's like they forgot. If you edited the bit in him waking up, oh no, <laughs> it's gone to print. <laughs> it's out in cinemas. You forgot to add that scene. It oh, it makes no sense now. What have you done? <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so there we have it. That's the deadly friend. Unless there's anything majorly you want to mention, AD. Uh, no. no. I mean, other, other than the fact that it was made for eleven million dollars and, and made nine million at the box office. Oh, made uh, that much. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, because it's you can't you know you can't market this as one thing or other. No, um, no. It's just it's not it's it's not anything. It's it's just it's. It's studio interference at its worst. It's like, no, make it more like this. That's not what we're aiming for. Do it. Oh, and that, and then they'll go, oh, you're 
rubbish. It's like, no, you you made this film rubbish. Yeah, this is what happens when you let people mess about with you. <laughs> yeah, when producers and executives <laughs> get, get involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so there, there is a core of an okay idea here. And it's, I think... I don't know. I, I, be, it would be interesting if you're saying there is a sort of, a, a, you know, a petition out for the original cut. It would be interesting maybe to see that, to yeah. see if to see if that does lend some more weight to the, you know, to the relationship between Sam and Paul. But I, I, um, I, I don't. Sam and Paul. No, what's I forgot the right Sam guy. Paul. Yeah. Yeah, it's Paul, isn't it? Yeah. And Thomas, Thomas the friend, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know whether that would. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's an interesting film. That's just lost in amongst the other bits, you know, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the the theme of abuse and 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 how that can be, you know, and the loss, you know, loss of a friend to something like that. They're, you know, they're interesting, I you know, things to explore. But this film, you know, clearly they went, oh no, you're Wes Craven, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah I, but fantastic. even so, I mean, the idea of integrating some of those themes, take away all the gore stuff, integrated some of those themes into a a family-friendly film. It's just it, it, no. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> I think I think Craven made a bad decision. You know, with it. With I, it. I, it well, I'm just yeah. I, I'd just be interested to see how it would because it could. You know, to me, it, I mean, to me, if you put those in, it it's starting to sound like a sort of uh, four o'clock on a four o'clock on a Thursday afternoon Channel Five film. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not the highest praise I can load on a film. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but you, you you catch those films if you're bored and it's something about you know um, last summer or some film called something like that and it's about some. Family. I know what you did last summer. <laughs> not, I know what you did last summer. No, but or, or it's um, <laughs> my dinner with Andre. Um, yeah. <laughs> and by my, breakfast, what was that one in Necromantic Two that was a parody of my, my dinner with Andre? My breakfast with oh, I can't remember. <laughs> parody of those types of films. Yeah. So you. Okay. you I don't know. It just—it'd be interesting, uh, you know. And and it does. Reading that uh, article you sent, there seems like quite a lot of the tonality has been changed from the book to turn it into something else, and it's not quite quite gelled properly, has it? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. So I think I think we've exhausted Deadly Friend. I think think we have. We have we have nothing more to say. About the film. No, I'm I'm going to go lie down in a go down lay down in a morgue and uh, cocoon well, myself for a little while and come out as a a new shiny version of me. I'm going to write a uh, a, a scheme of work that involves brain surgery. I think. <laughs> I think you need to. That's what and I need al- to do. And also you need to do it with crap hands. <laughs> <laughs> Doing crap hands. Doing crap yeah. hands. Um, I've been yeah. taught by a mime artist. Oh my, that hits your hands that much. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to. I think you have to be sort of in your teenage years to be able to do that without hitting your fingers. A mime oh. artist. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Crab. <laughs> Peppy Lipia, the mime artist. <laughs> Sorry, it's been cancelled, anti Peppy Lipia. Oh, Peppy Lipia has. Yeah, you can't talk about him anymore. Chay Lafam. When I was a teenager, I I, I did not say what Tom says about Sam to Paul. But I did go around the playground sometimes going to Cher Cher La Femme after having watched Pepe Lipia cartoons. And I think they have turned me into a terrible chauvinistic monster. I well, think. You know, if you ask more like it's what we say, say about you behind your back, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, thank God he's gone, that horrible chauvinistic monster. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, anyway. Oh, well, Pepe Le Pew. Theater near you. 